Hey, this is Mark, and you're listening to Stuff Matters. In this episode, we learn about the abundance of hydrogen. Why is it the most abundant element in the universe? And what counts for element abundance in the first place? How is hydrogen even made? What are stars made of, and what happened after the Big Bang? All that and more as we go in-depth and explore the abundance of hydrogen. But first, let's take a look at a recent headline from the NEWS, The News. This week's headline is Nano-Engineered Sponge Could Soak Up Oil Spills in Cold Arctic Waters. This is an article from March 10th. So as we all know, oil spills are not a joke. They are very bad for the environment and they are very hard to clean up. But did you know that it is actually tougher to clean up oil spills that are in low temperature waters, such as the Arctic environments? Luckily, this article brings hope as to easier cleanups for oil spills in the future, especially in colder environments. A team from Imperial College of London has been taking the approach of trying to keep the oil as it is and then developing a sponge to capture it. This means that they don't have to do the preheating process that is usually taken when oil spills in cold waters. So through numerous tests, they have analyzed the molecular structure of the sticky oil and engineered a nano coating with a structure that is near identical to that of the sticky oil. A sponge was created with paraffin-like nanocoating and is likely to bond to any of the sticky oil that is encountered. Tests have shown the sponge to be able to absorb 99% of a 100 milliliter container of water mixed with Texas's raw crude oil. This 99% of oil was absorbed within three hours in just 100 milliliters of water and the temperature was way below 5 degrees celsius. The oil is then drained from the sponge by soaking it in a solvent that is releasing the crude. Previous research has developed similar sponges to suck up this oil, though past work hasn't focused on the lower temperatures found in the Arctic, where a significant portion of oil exploration and production is located. So with this information, there is hope to improve tests by improving the sponge and coatings efficiency and testing it on different crudes of oil grades, which have different microstructures. So in case all of that mumbo jumbo went over your head, don't worry, I'm here to explain it. So basically, a team from Imperial College London, their main leader being Pavini Cherukupali? Yeah, Cherukupali. Pavini Cherukupali. And her team have designed a sponge to pick up crude oil spills in Arctic environments. But why Arctic environments? Well, such oil spills are happening in the cold, and they have shown to be a lot more difficult to clean up. At low temperatures, the oil of heavier compounds includes roughly 2.44% of oil that is natural paraffin wax. And this wax begins to crystallize the oil making it a much thicker and stickier mess. So, Pavani's team 
has designed a sponge with nano coating, meaning that they looked at the structure of the oil they want to pick up and made an artificial coating for the sponge to go in and bond with the oil so that way it can soak up what the nano coating is designed around. So think of it like you made yourself a magnet to only Legos. Since that you have this coating on you that attracts only Legos to you, wherever you go, you're going to pick up Legos, no matter what. And that's what this sponge is doing. It has a coating that is made to pick up this specific kind of oil at the low temperatures, making the cleanup job a lot easier. Tests have showed that the oil has picked up 99% of crude oil from Texas in 100 milliliters of water within three hours at a temperature as low as 5 degrees Celsius. So far, the sponges they have created have shown to only be tested no more than 10 further uses. But of course, experiments take a long time. And now we are in the process to hopefully get uh, to hopefully get better with nano coating technology and these sponges in order to make oil spills a lot easier to clean up. So yeah, that was some news saying that nanotechnology, nano coating technology for cleaning up oil spills is going along pretty nicely. With the news out of the way, let's kick it on over to the TOPIC, the topic. So, hydrogen, the most abundant element in the known universe, said to make up over 90% of everything. But what's the story behind it? In the beginning, there was nothing. And then the Big Bang happened. You see this big explosion, and suddenly there's a release of hot energy, and these things called quarks. Quarks being the elementary particles that make up the charges of everything else. And so now we see in space an extremely hot, now expanding universe, with these elementary particles just floating around. With so much energy, it is being used to have these quarks fused together to make the subatomic particles that we know as protons, electrons, and neutrons. But it wasn't enough for them. With so much excess energy, it was used to fuse the protons and electrons into making the first element, hydrogen. But why hydrogen? Well, hydrogen has the most simplest form of an atom, being just one proton and one electron. Nothing more, nothing less. So, it takes the least amount of energy to make the simplest form of the atom. And that is why hydrogen is the most abundant element in the universe, because a long time ago, a bunch of little particles decided to fuse together to make the simplest form of an atom. Thank you, and good night. Be sure to follow me wherever you get your podcasts, that way you're notified when a new episode comes out. I do my best to upload every Saturday. No, 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 we're not cutting it there. Hold your horses, Batman. There's a bit of a rabbit hole to go into now that we know about where hydrogen comes from. So hydrogen comes from these itty bitty little elementary particles known as quirks, which make up the bigger charges of everything else. And they fuse together to make the atom, the simplest atom. Now what? Well, it didn't stop there. Once hydrogen was fused together, there was still excess energy. <laughs> I mean, the Big Bang was crazy. It was super hot. I mean, I, I, I can't say because I was there. 
but just from scientists you know uh, researching behind the big bang i think we can all agree that the big bang was a pretty big bang meaning a lot of heat was released so what do we do with this excess energy well more fusing together hooray and this is what is known as nuclear fusion nuclear fusion where it takes enough energy to fuse two atoms together and in the process nuclear fusion releases light and heat now all of these hydrogen atoms are starting to fuse together but what do they make well here's some atomic math for you when you get a hydrogen atom plus another hydrogen atom it makes a helium atom so with all this excess energy it made hydrogen and then helium and then yes you can guess the rest of the elements the natural elements at least such as oxygen carbon nitrogen mainly the gaseous elements the gaseous elements i don't know how you really say that gaseous gaseous anyways it made the gas elements in general since that they were some of the easiest forms to make with nuclear fusion and so much energy but of course, in this big party of fusing together, it did make some other elements, such as magnesium, sulfur, uh, iodine, sodium. They were just in a different form, a different state, or they were even just solid states. Who really knows? It was a long time ago. The Big Bang was a super long time ago. But yeah, because of so much energy from the Big Bang, there was a huge nuclear fusion party where the elements just started to take shape thanks to the elementary particles known as quartz i know i'm going a little fast here but that's just because i want to get to the bigger things that i thought were interesting when learning about hydrogen abundance so first things first since that we're on the topic of space let's talk about stars how are stars even made in the first place well, I am happy to tell you that the core of a star is just a big nuclear fusion party between hydrogen and helium and whatever other elements are just floating around that they can bring into the party. The way a star is formed, or born, however you want to say it, the way a star is formed is that you see in space these two gas clouds with just the regular atomic particles of say oxygen hydrogen helium all that jazz and they're just floating around you know with space dust uh, but when two of them come close to each other they begin to attract one another and collide and then collapse on each other and then over time they start to form the nuclear fusion it's a huge nuclear fusion and creates enough energy enough gravitational pull to pull other elements just floating around into the mix Primarily, it is a nuclear fusion mesh pot of hydrogen and helium, since that they are the most abundant in the universe. And so with this nuclear fusion core that every star has, they're simply using up the fuel of hydrogen and helium to form whatever they can with the crazy energy that they're making from the nuclear fusion. It's a weird cycle, I'll be honest with you. They bring in these attracted clouds, and then they fuse together, and because the fusion m releases heat, it makes them fuse more? <laughs> I cannot make this stuff up. It's science, dude. 
So what happens when a star dies? When a star dies, it means that it used up all of its fuel, all of its hydrogen, all its helium, and whatever else is not able to fuse anymore inside the star. And thus, once it uses up all of its fuel, it just implodes and releases everything that it mixed together into the universe. And that's what we call a supernova. Looks pretty cool. Go look up pictures about it. And while we're talking about stars, let's talk about our own star known as the Sun. The Sun, as you guessed, is a gigantic mesh pot of nuclear fusion. Just a bunch of hydrogen and a bunch of helium all coming together to release light and energy. Energy and light that's being released through nuclear fusion is actually called electromagnetic radiation. And you can guess from the sound of that name that it's not a good thing for our skin. That is why the sun gives us heat, because it is releasing electromagnetic radiation every single second. And it travels light years to reach us on Earth. This electromagnetic radiation is coming off of more than just the sun, it is coming off of all the stars. And it can even come off of just the tiniest tiniest of nuclear fusions out there so yeah electromagnetic radiation try to remember that because that is what's coming from the sun to us there's actually a lot of forms of electromagnetic radiation the one that's coming to us is known as uv rays but this is a topic about elemental abundance specifically hydrogen and we've learned about nuclear fusion so let's go over the rest of the elements if you take a look at your periodic table, you can see that, not always, but it's common to see the higher the atomic number, the less abundant the element is. And that is because, as I've said before, it takes a lot of energy to fuse two particles together. So say you have uh, a particle or an atom with five protons and four electrons. And then you want to fuse that atom with another atom that has, I don't know, say 15 protons and 15 electrons. Well, that's going to take a lot of energy. Why? It's pretty simple. Mutual charges do not attract. You try to put a positively charged proton with another positively charged proton, they're just going to repel each other. Same goes for the negatively charged electrons. So we have to force them to be together. This is where heat, this is where energy comes in. And so it'll take a lot more energy to fuse these atoms together the more protons and electrons that are being fused in the first place in order to make a new element. So now this begs the question for most people, can we make an element from another element? Well, yes, actually, to an extent. Thanks to alchemists bringing up the idea of turning lead into gold, this has then evolved into other scientists of the modern day wanting to try and make that process possible. We have something called a particle collider. Particle colliders do exactly what they sound like. They collide particles together with a lot of energy. That means that you can take a bunch of atoms from, say, hydrogen, 
and make them into a different element to, I don't know, sodium? Whatever you want. Just know that it'll probably cost you a lot of money for how much energy you're putting into the process. It's also not very efficient because, say, if you did want to make lead into gold, the cost to make gold would overweigh the cost of the gold that would be made in the process. But hey, it exists. Particle colliders exist. We can definitely do what happened at the Big Bang and maybe even more. Scientists are definitely looking into how to make this more efficient. But for now, we do know that we can make elements out of anything else just by colliding two particles together. So yay! But what about elements forming naturally? The abundance of the rest of the elements besides hydrogen. We know that hydrogen is the most abundant element in the universe, but what about the others? As you may notice, uh, the metals are less abundant, way less abundant than hydrogen and the rest of the gaseous elements. Gaseous elements? I still don't know how to say that. Anyways, the non-metals are most abundant because they have a more simpler form and take less energy to create, with them being more stable than their metal counterparts. This does not mean that metals are impossible to make. There is a reason why most metals are found as minerals or crystals or ores below the Earth's surface. It is because the farther you go down in Earth, it means the temperature will rise and the pressure will rise as well. You have these atoms underground, these particles underground, and they are just being pressed together because of the Earth's gravitational pull and it being super hot beneath the Earth's surface. Along with the hundreds of thousands of years of land just being compacted over them, creating this immense pressure. So that's how metals are formed. Underground, they are just constantly fusing atoms together, just like out in outer space with the Big Bang and the particle colliders. It's somewhat common that you can't find metals in their purest form, so you'll find them in what they call ores or minerals, and you have to excavate them out of these minerals and ores. But it's very interesting to note that elemental abundance doesn't have to happen out in the open. It can happen right beneath our noses. This then makes me wonder what kind of uh, metals or ores that we'll find on other planets, given if they do have the same uh, structure or crust as Earth. We can find a completely different element, who knows, on the planet Mars once we start ex excavating it. And finally, I'd like to go over the top nine elements of most abundance. Number one being hydrogen, of course. Number two being helium. Not surprised. And then we get to number three, which is oxygen. Save that for later. We'll get to that in a moment. Number five, I'm sorry, number four is carbon. Number five is nitrogen. And then number six is magnesium. Number seven is silicone. Number eight, iron. And number nine is sulfur. Let's take a look at the first five. Notice how they are known to be gas elements, non-metals. Now think about, if you know, the atomic structure of these non-metals. And how their form, their gas form, 
doesn't require a solid state to be stable enough. I'm just going to leave that there as food for thought. Now let's turn our attention to oxygen. Oxygen is expected to surpass hydrogen as the number one most abundant element, thanks to us, thanks to Earth. It's because of all the oxygen that Earth has been making with its plant life and the air cycle from all of the living creatures that oxygen has been made super abundant. I believe I read that oxygen is expected to surpass hydrogen by either 2030 or 2050. Either way, I will likely be alive when I turn on the news and it says, In the news today, hydrogen has been surpassed as the number one element. It is now oxygen. I thought that was very neat to point out. Thanks to us, oxygen is creeping on to the lead. So yeah. From the Big Bang to these little quarks fusing together to make hydrogen and then helium to then forming stars and then the big star that we all know and maybe love to all of them eventually dying out to create supernovas. The heat coming off as electromagnetic radiation comes to Earth to warm us but can be somewhat dangerous. And meanwhile, all of the other elements, like the metals, are forming underground beneath our noses, thanks to the pressure and the temperature from the Earth's crust and the gravitational pull of the Earth's core. But man, I, <laughs> I know that was quite a bit of information to take in. So let's take a B-E-A-T-H-E-R, a breather. Let's see, what am I looking forward to this week? Well, <laughs> let me tell you what I'm not looking forward to. I am not looking forward to that time change that's coming. I believe it's the 14th. This episode should be going out on the 13th of March. Here, let me let me look it up right now. Uh, I'm just going to Google it. When is the spring forward time change? Daylight saving time in the United States and California will begin on Sunday, March 14th, uh -oh. 2021, and ends on Sunday, November 7th. Oh, boy. So, yeah. But I guess it'll be good to get the sun back to where it is, because lately it has been morning since, like, 6 and six a.m. It's already daylight. So, you know, <laughs> it'd be nice to not have to close the windows or cover my eyes at six in the morning any anymore. Other than that, I would say I'm looking forward to, hmm, I don't know really. It's just gonna be another week for me. Maybe I'll make a ice cream sundae. Oh, actually, I'm looking forward to, here, I have it right here. I'm looking forward to reading Mendeleev's Dream, The Quest for the Elements. I got it at a bookstore for about eight dollars yeah eight dollars and usually i think this book would probably cost maybe 20 24 but basically it's a little autobiography of dmitry mendeleev who is the person behind the periodic table that we use today so i'm really looking forward to reading up on mendeleev 
But now that we've gotten some R&R, I'd say it's time we R-E-C-A-P. It's recap time. So we learned quite a bit today. The main gist was learning where hydrogen comes from, and why it is the most abundant element in the universe. The reason being is from the Big Bang, and the release of heat and these little elementary particles known as quarks, which make up the charges of everything else. The Big Bang creating excess heat sparked a huge snowball effect of protons being created from the quarks, and as well as the electrons, and there was still more excess heat, which then created hydrogen. But it didn't stop there, so the hydrogen created helium, and helium created the rest of the elements, and so on and so forth, due to nuclear fusion releasing electromagnetic energy. And this is how we have stars today, which are constantly releasing electromagnetic energy, as they are all, every single star is a giant mushpot of nuclear fusion including our own big star that will eventually die out one day and create a supernova. But it doesn't end there as oxygen is looking to take the lead from hydrogen in a few decades. And we know now that it doesn't take nuclear fusion out in outer space to create the metals that we know today as they are mainly formed underground with the high temperature and pressure from the Earth's crust and core. So yeah. We learned more than we needed to about the abundance of hydrogen. We now understand a little more about where elements come from. And of course, I cannot forget to mention that nanotechnology, nanocoating for sponges to clean up oil spills, is coming along pretty nicely. Oil spills will become less of a problem and an easy cleanup job. That's going to be it from me. Tune in next time where we learn about the chemicals used in our food. Be sure to follow me wherever you get your podcasts, so that way you don't miss when a new episode comes out. I do my best to upload every Saturday. If you want more Stuff Matters, follow me on Twitter at underscore Stuff Matters. Maybe you have a good idea for an episode topic, or you want to send me some fan mail, or a critique. To reach out to me, email me at stuffmatterspodcast at gmail.com. I've been Mark. And thank you for listening to Stuff Matters.